Hey guys, Lance again. Before you start the second part of our Pokemon 25th anniversary special, we just wanted to take some time out to again warn you of some possibly difficult themes that we feature here. At about the 18th minute mark, and lasting until the 59th minute mark, we cover a lot of sensitive topics like abandonment, death, responses to trauma, and parenting troubles. If you might be sensitive to any of these topics, please feel free to skip ahead as you see fit. The actual timestamps are included in the show notes. Now, we hope you enjoy the show. I'll never forget this day. Hey guys, I'm Kayla. And I'm Lance. We are the Jaded Roses, and this is our Broken Mirror. Where we deep dive and take a really good look at ourselves, each other, and everything around us. Let's just hope we don't get any glass lodged somewhere unseemly. Continuing the celebration of Pokemon. Yes. I feel like what kind of Pokemon are you should be next, because that leads really nicely into at least my selection for your gym team. Your selection for my gym team? I thought we were yes. supposed to create our own gym team. I did both. Oh, I did not do that. Oh, okay. Well, then so I'll sorry. have more to talk about later. <laughs> I can create it while you talk, too. <laughs> for you. You could do that, and that way we'll have it. But... Oh, I'm so sorry. I did not know that. I. Oh, no, no, no. Good thing you said something. I was like, what are you saying right now to me? <laughs> Our, our gym team for each other. Talking about your, or thinking about what kind of Pokemon you would identify with. Yeah. My knee-jerk reaction was Jigglypuff. Really? Which is very interesting that Jigglypuff made it into your top three. Okay, I would love to know why you thought Jigglypuff for me. It's kind of that sort of unassuming thing because like you're very outgoing you're very like go with the flow kind of thing but as soon as something irks you you have to deal with it and jigglypuff has that spirit that's true yeah uh but it is not what i ended up landing on really honestly i was a little afraid before hearing your top three okay. about identifying you with a fluff ball <laughs> So, so I, I didn't quite want to go that route. Also, I didn't want like knee jerk to be like, yeah, that's it. So I thought about yeah. it some more. And I, I think I got to more uh, a, like a slightly deeper connection. So the okay. next so I actually have a total of three possibilities. For me? Yes. Oh, fuck. I only gave you one. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's perfectly okay. fine. I just literally couldn't land. Oh, okay, I thought okay. about it so much and I just I couldn't pick one. So one of them's Jigglypuff. Uh, one of them is not Jigglypuff. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I have three completely different ones after oh. like much thought and contemplation. But I the initial one was Jigglypuff for me. Yeah. So okay. my my number four place for you would be Jigglypuff. Okay, that's fine. The next one I landed on was actually Stuffle. Stuffle. S T U F F U L. If you want to look it up. I am. It's kind of like. Uh, has a very teddy bear in a dog form kind of appearance. It's very... Oh, fuck. I love that thing. I didn't know that was his name. It's oh. supposed to be very calm at first, but if you get on its bad side, it's very violent. Like, very uh -huh. violent. It's normal fighting. It's like, ooh. I love that one so much. It's very, very non-assuming, but very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And that then I feel like the ones I like more for you 
which mm-hmm. you may disagree with, but okay. I actually gave you the two forms of Corsola. Okay. So you have the original form of Corsola, which is all about being part of the reef. It's one with nature. There's a lot of caring and a lot of mythology with it in the Pokemon world. They're like people that keep part of its coral arms as like tokens as they break off they'll keep them as tokens around their neck to promote childbirth that kind of thing there's a lot of like interconnectivity between pokemon and humans with it okay but the galarian corsola is actually a ghost type because they all were exterminated in ancient times through being hunted by other pokemon so instead of the nature nurturing and caring arms that are connected with humans in every other region their arms are actually used to like immobilize things until corsola is ready to let you go like it's very much like a i mean it's a ghost in the ocean so it's very much like you're here with me until i say otherwise wow so that sort of dichotomy between the nurturing and caring arms versus the holding you here possessive arms Mm -hmm. kind of spoke to me like i said i couldn't land between any of those three but since you love stuffle so much i might give you stuffle as my official what kind of pokemon are you i do love stuffle if you want my completely honest answer it's yeah i see you a lot in all four of those yeah it's pretty much i was gonna say it's a very much a distinct set of characteristics you were looking for actually though so that's why i was like wow okay those are really (laughs) you went more for the how i'm connected to them for sure and I do agree with you. I wouldn't know exactly which one to pick for myself, but I think all of them are mm. good. I, I, it's kind of like that spirit of I'm very nurturing, caring, happy-go-lucky until a point. Mm-hmm. And I identify that with you heavily. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have tendencies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not horrible tendencies, but they're tendencies. I mean, yeah, I'm very much a person who is, you do your best to treat everyone with kindness until they fuck with you. And then game on, motherfucker, basically. Kindness to everyone until you pay it back not in kind. Definitely, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely that kind of person, like... That's why I've specifically liked the Corsola angle where it's like, yeah, I'm just kind of here, minding my own business here, have my arm, use it to promote whatever you want to promote. And it's like, okay, but now we're all dead and we're just going to kill everything else too. (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, you know, (laughs) for you, oh God, I'm so nervous to talk about this one with you because I, okay, I did not... I couldn't figure out exactly where to even go with you for a Pokemon. I knew I wanted something dark in nature. And Mm -hmm. so I... I think I literally put in dark Pokemon. And one of the things that... You put up a lot of dark types. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The dark types. So I pinned that just into Google. And I was looking at the different options. And one of them was literally just some uh, one called Darkra. So I had not seen this Pokemon before, so I'm going to preface with that. But when I read the description, I was like, this sounds like something I would definitely associate with Lance. And I feel like it's very much you. Do you know this Pokemon? I don't know a whole lot of the lore. I know there was a movie on it. Yeah. So again, I haven't seen it either. So this is a legendary Pokemon. Right. So I already like that. Yeah. So it's very rare. It is a dark 
It has a dark ability type, which is bad dreams. So it's attracted to nightmares, actually. It inhabits dreams and releases unending nightmares. And that's usually, um, people have said that that's usually a defense mechanism to try and protect mm-hmm. itself. And then, like I said, attack, attracted to darkness, it is. And then it can become a shadow to escape. A lot of its things it does is as a defense mechanism to either defend itself against a potential attack or as a means of escape. It's not right. an outward attack that will have immediate gratifications. Yeah, my my few experiences with Dark Cry have been mm-hmm. the like memes on the internet that are like, you know, Dark Dark Cry is just minding its business. It's, it literally doesn't mean harm to anybody. Mm-hmm. Yes. But just as a defense mechanism, it will provoke certain reactions. And I definitely see that really relating to you because, like I said, like I did initially see poison, which I, I expect that you probably thought I was going to pick a poison type. But you are definitely someone who does not attack out of revenge or anything malicious. It's more so a, a preventive measure for you as a way to keep yourself safe. At whatever cost. Yeah, not so much you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. It's the perception of a threat, and so Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I can to stop that. Exactly. I get it. We get it. So uh, that's my type for you, for sure. But I will say, Mm -hmm. am a fan. We'll definitely accept. (laughs) But when you said dark type, I actually got really excited. Oh. Aside from Houndour being my number two, mm-hmm. my actual, uh, I guess, number four spot, but I still identify very heavily with this Pokemon, Okay, is from Gen 3, the Ruby and Sapphire Age. It's Absol. And aside from its design, which is very like black and white, monochromatic, love it. Mm-hmm. It comes in warning of disasters. It comes to say, hey, something bad is coming. But because when it came, bad things would happen because it's coming to warn people that something bad is happening in ancient civilizations, in the lore of the games at least, it became associated as a bad omen and the cause of bad things. And so it's like this romantically tragic kind of character where they come and they're just like, hey, something bad's happening, but then something bad happens and everybody in the village is like, oh, but that thing came right before. (laughs) Oh, but that thing came. Right. I just, I I identify so much with Absol, just like, because just that complete misunderstanding, because apparently I'm so easy to misunderstand. I don't know. (laughs) But the romantic tragedy of it really plays to my, my emo side. I was going to say, you love a romantic tragedy. You are a romantic tragedy. Oh, thank you. You're <laughs> I mean, someone has to say it. I mean, I, I did was... call you out a little earlier, so we'll take it. I don't even remember when you called me out. That's okay. I probably won't remember when you did me either. <laughs> Between the amalgamation of Jigglypuff, Stuffle, and both of the Corsolas, and me mm-hmm. being the Lord of Darkness and Nightmares... <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> we we make a team. We do make a team. You'll have the, the bodily harm and I'll have the psychological harm. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that does suit us too. <laughs> <laughs> Considering who we are as people. Not to close out the episode, but to continue the episode, to continue the celebration of everything yes, that is Pokemon. Yes. 
We have decided on if we were gym leaders, what our individual teams would be. And we've also chosen what the teams would be for each other. Yep. And I think what we might want to do is maybe I'll go through what I chose for you. Then you'll go through what you chose for me. Then I'll go through what I chose for me. Well, why don't we just do where I say what I chose for you and then you can say what you chose for yourself. So that way they can directly compare. Okay, yeah. That'll Does that sound good? Easier than trying to keep track, especially yeah. since I'm very drunk right now. And I'm getting very high, so... <laughs> so probably not the best move. We'll do no. that. Yeah, I think that'll just be easier, again, to just keep track of everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we'll have a lot to say about our decisions there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I got you. Okay, so do you want to go first for me? I'm pretty sure you didn't think this far ahead. No. But I <laughs> I didn't even heard it. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's our dynamic. No, I did not think anything ahead here. <laughs> you're supposed to be a Capricorn. I'm Capricorn in life, not in fun. I did actually pick what Pokemon in my team and your team would be sent out first, as well as which Pokemon you would have to Mega Evolve. Oh my god! <laughs> But if you didn't do that, that's fine. I just no. want you to be aware that I did that. I would love to hear it, though. And yeah, because there's okay reasoning behind it. I would love to hear it. Did you want to start telling me, yeah, or did I, I want to start telling you? Well, since yours is lo- yours for me is longer, we'll start with me doing you first, because I'll be shorter. Okay. okay. I did, again, I, audience, I did this while we've been talking, because I forgot this part. So, his favorite type is ghost. So, we made him ghost pokemon so we have the floon i have haunter i had the dosclops i have uh yamask pumpka boo and i have mimikyu i will say you got two of them really it's haunter because i know that's your favorite now oh yes i'm guessing mikyu how do you know me so well my <laughs> rationale is that uh i wanted to cover some weaknesses oh fuck me Okay. I don't, I, you know, I didn't want to go out all out ghost, even though I have, in theory, built a whole ghost team. Mm. So I do have uh, Haunter and Mimikyu. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are two of my favorites. Mimikyu is one of the darkest Pokemon mm-hmm. ever, and I fucking love, love it. Love it. Love it. Pumpkaboo does tie into my love of Decidueye because it's grass and ghost. Mm-hmm. I like mixed types, so. Yes. So with Haunter and Mimikyu, I have Houndoom, because Lord knows I'd never send my Houndour into battle. That's my puppy. Mm -hmm. I also have Chandelure, which would be my first going out. I almost picked that one. I love Chandelure. Oh, fuck. You know I'm attracted to gothic things. I know. I I don't know why. I said, that's something. And then I was like, no, that's that's not right. (laughs) That's not something. (laughs) That's not it. Uh, I also have Espeon, and I actually had Jellicent there before, but like right before we started recording, I decided to change to Espeon, because Espeon's my favorite evolution, mm, and okay. it's it's psychic, it's not dark, it's not ghost, so there's like a, a natural balance there. Okay. And then uh, for my mega evolution to go into while battling, I designated oh Sableye, which is dark and ghost, which are my mm-hmm. two favorite types. <laughs> wow. But yeah, so Chandelure would be first. I'd obviously save Sableye for last, but everything else is very eclectic. If you want to send out a psychic type to deal with my Haunter, because Haunter is weak to psychic types, I'll mm-hmm. throw out my Houndoom because he's dark. Uh, if you 
throw out of fighting to deal with my Houndoom because he's dark. I have Espeon because she's psychic. Wow. Yeah. I tried to think a little bit. That's good, though. I like that. You really did. You really came up with a came up with a game plan on how to handle a battle. I also like to mention before I go forward mm-hmm. that my name is literally in the first generation of games. What do you mean? Lance is the dragon master, the last person you face before oh. you fight the champion. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Some of my handles in other places are the dragon master or some iteration oh, of that. Oh my god. I have never seen this. And now I cannot wait to search. What I have is, and again, I chose your your initial Pokemon out as well as your Mega, which I assume you would uh, keep for last, but you don't have to. Okay. So your first out I have listed as Stuffle. Okay. I like Stuffle. I also have, in no particular order, Jigglypuff. Yes. Mawile. Hey, I have that one too. I love Mawile. Yes. Get it. I also have specifically Alolan Vulpix, the Ice Vulpix. <gasps> oh, close. I have something close. <laughs> and then close I one. I gave you either. I couldn't land on one or the other mm-hmm. uh, because you bring a lot of aggressive energy forward. So <laughs> I have both Gardevoir and Gallade. Both are evolutions of Curlia. Okay. I had Gardevoir. Oh my God. And then for your Mega, I gave you Blaziken. Oh, okay. I like that. Fire Chicken is badass. Yes. So like you're after you get through all of the facades, you're just like, yeah, okay, I'm about to lose. So here's Blaziken and just fuck shit up. Bye. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh my god, I cannot believe you got mo- yes. Okay, so I did have Gardevoir because I do love Gardevoir. I love, love it so much. Blade. And then Mawile, I also had. And then you said I had. Okay, so you had Alonian. I also have one Alonian. But it's nine tails. Okay, so you evolved your Vulpix. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like, oh, that was close. That's why I was like, like two Ooh. and a half. I know, you You pretty much did. Because I also put for me Mimikyu. Okay. And then I have Tapor Fini, which is like a water fairy. It's a legendary type. Oh, yeah, from Sun and Moon. Yeah, it just looks like, I just love that it has an ability to bridge the living world with the world of the dead. So anytime I can master that, I want it just based on principle. Also, it looks like a gothic cloister and I love that. I love that. I love that because it literally when it's in its shell and it closes, it looks like a swordfish head. I love it. I love it. And then the other one I had was Aromatease. Okay. Yeah. Another fairy. Fairy grass. Yeah, and I, I just like that one. That one has the plague doctor kind of mask. Um, I like the fairy type, so I like to do something with fairy a lot whenever possible. See, I wanted to kind of lean into fairy, but I was scared to overly commit to fairy. That's fine. That's why I gave you Jigglypuff. I know, I love Jigglypuff. I've almost put Jigglypuff down for myself. I just didn't. I was like, I just don't know. I was like, I feel like this is a stronger one for me Hmm. for this moment. But I think Jigglypuff would be like in my rotating top 10. So I think I would have like a top 10. And I think Jigglypuff would definitely be in there for me. So yeah, I'm impressed with how many you got too. (laughs) Wow, that was good. That was very good for us. Look, we, we know each other. We know, we know. To close out this Pokegras episode, I figured we would cover a few episodes that have impacted us mm-hmm. one way or another. And I do feel like we have to get an elephant out of the room first. Okay. And that will obviously be the first movie. Okay. 
So we we go through this whole spiel with Mewtwo trying to like take over the world and basically exterminate humans <gasps> and take Pokemon from humans so that they won't be enslaved. But then all he does is clone them to prove that clones are superior. But there's like a there's a dynamic there where it's like the power of science is better than creationism or something. There's 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 an interesting parallel between the f- the first movie and you know society's view on science which we're still working on that I would, episode i would love <laughs> to talk about that in just general so much like that's just making me want to talk about it well we can't afford this episode to be six hours I long but during the culmination of all of this, you have where Mewtwo unleashes all of these clones. He's taken all of these Pokemon from all of these top trainers of the world who have, in his eyes, proven themselves worthy with their teams of crossing a storm. And they just fight. And to me, the biggest focal point, and it's one that's kind of overlooked, mm-hmm. is that he declares that he literally is suppressing their abilities as they're fighting. So it's literally a fist fight Mm -hmm. between all of these pairs of originals and clones. Mm -hmm. You have, I forgot the name of the, the artist. It's, I know Soul is in the name. I used to have the song on my phone and I had to delete it because anytime it came up on shuffle, it made me cry. (laughs) But the uh, Brother My Brother song playing, asking what are we fighting for? Is it worth it? And it's just, it's so emotionally charged. And you have like the Charizards biting each other. You have the Blastoises that are punching each other. You have the Venusaur that are... Mm -hmm plowing into each other with their heads you have the psyducks that are slapping each other which is supposed to be comedic relief but it's still so fucking sad the scene culminates i'm tearing up already just fucking thinking about it Mm -hmm. the scene culminates in mewtwo and mew having their little bout and ash being the reckless fucking dumbass that he is just runs out in the middle of their beams yelling stop and somehow the the power combined power of Mewtwo and Mew's beams hitting him turns him to fucking stone Mm -hmm. and everything stops and it gets quiet and Pikachu goes to him and tries to shock him alive repeatedly Mm -hmm. and the desperation in the limited vocations that Pikachu has is just like you can tell he he wants to scream he wants to he wants to emote but all he can say is Pikachu and so it's just mm-hmm. there's a frustration there of the inability to express an emotion of complete desperation like he Pikachu just wants Ash to be back. Mm-hmm. You have the occasional cut in from like Misty and Brock being like, oh no, please tell me this isn't happening. And you have Pikachu just shocking Ash over and over and over and over again until he literally has no juice left. Mm-hmm. And in his last kind of act of desperation all he can do is cry for his trainer who for all intents and purposes is fucking dead Mm -hmm. and it spurs this ripple effect 
with all of the Pokemon, the originals and the clones just crying for seeing not even the widespread destruction that their fighting has caused, but simply the discourse that it has caused in the life of one trainer and their Pokemon. Mm-hmm. That that sort of intense, almost one-on-one emotional connection drives mm-hmm. every Pokemon there, with the exception of Mew and Mewtwo, to tears. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if Mew was a little less aloof than it was it would probably be crying too and and eventually the tears of the pokemon bring ash back and then you have literally one of the best pieces of written word in just about anything when mewtwo says i see now the matter of one's conception is irrelevant it's what you do with the gift of life that matters and like that fits so well with everything they had been working toward with the show. Mm-hmm. That just yes. the coming together, the it doesn't matter that Ash is a dumbass who's literally late to every occasion, even the biggest mm-hmm. occasion of his life. He made the best of a situation. Mm-hmm. And look at him now. Like he made the best of a relationship with a Pokemon that at first literally hated him. Yeah. And look at him now. Look at their connection. It is honestly, and I am completely unashamed to admit for anyone asking, that it is still a scene that moves me to tears every single time I watch it. I do have to ask, where even as a child, did that scene affect you to that degree? The the sort of decline of it where Mewtwo gives his commentary didn't hit me until much later. But like the uh, Pikachu. Oh yes. Oh. Okay. Yes. I (laughs) remember distinctly being in that movie theater and just like oh my god Ash is dead. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Is this it? Uh. Like and and it was so much extrapolation in my young brain because like literally the first movie came out in what 99? maybe 2000 in the states and like Mm -hmm. i thought that was the end of pokemon oh so like it wasn't just like oh my god this is a really intense emotional situation it was like i thought i was losing a franchise that i had fallen in love with the past couple of years i thought i was losing a part of myself in what i was watching so i was intensely invested now as i grew up as he got better like Obviously, that wasn't the case. And especially since I've gotten older, it's a little silly to think that they would have ended it like that. There's a lot that goes into that scene. You have the desperation of Pikachu who can't do Mm -hmm. anything to fix this situation. And then you have the follow-up with Brock and Misty who also can't believe. And you know they can't do anything because Ash is literally fucking rock right now. Mm-hmm. Then you have the declination of the scene where Mewtwo gives the speculation that like, oh, what I've been doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. That's become more of a like a dull push for me as an adult you know it's not like a keen oh my god this is what i attribute all of my life to but like it's why i am more keen to think about where people come from it's it Mm -hmm. like because i know it doesn't matter but to put myself in your shoes will give me more information than to be like oh you came from a poor family yeah 
you have to empathize with another person. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that movie definitely hit me, I think, slightly. I mean, it's definitely hit me slightly differently in terms of, like, I didn't think it was the end of the franchise. Mm -hmm. I think it was just the fact that they... I remember the Pokemon, the Pikachu scene uh, definitely always tore me up. And I think it was because, like, it was... Yes, it was a Pokemon, so the Pokemon's not real, but the sound of desperation was transcribed beautifully and it matched true desperation when you cried in that kind of emotional Bruh. scene. Even to this day, because again, I still cry every time, but like when I rewatched mm-hmm. the Same. first movie, and I know it's coming. I always know it's coming. I've been watching this movie oh, yeah, for 21 no- years because mm-hmm. Pikachu goes through like a cheer, cheer, cheer. Because he's, he's using all of his powers. And then yeah. as soon as he realized he's run out and he can't make any more. And just that, like, I, I see it. I see it drawn. I see the tears in Pikachu's eyes. I hear the voice actor just, Pika, Pete. And it's just like, I, mm-hmm. ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what really sold the whole scene was the fact that it was such a committed and true desperation in that cry. It was it was very powerful. Yes, I know. I'm talking about a child movie from many years ago. Look, I'm over here crying. I'm trying not to drown my emotions in alcohol. So <laughs> it's okay. He's very hardly. He's very trying, but it's very hard. It's it's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that scene. Okay. I think everyone can relate to strong. Yeah, emotions. if ever you and were into like, Pokemon, you know the mm-hmm. first movie will always kind of punch you in the gut. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Right. But, so, there is an interesting link up. I know you haven't watched the more recent movies. I've watched a few of them. Mm-hmm. But there is one where there is a very interesting dynamic, especially when compared to the first movie. And that's, I forget the name of it, but it's the one from X and Y with the legendaries uh, Xerneas and Yalvatal. And so, you have Xerneas, who is supposed to represent life, new beginnings, uh, it's a deer, it's blue, it looks like it's painted with like a uh, stained glass window kind of vibe. Ooh, pretty. It's very powerful, it's supposed to be the life bringer, all of that good stuff. And then its opposite is Yelvatal, who is the Pokemon of destruction and death. That's kind of like the theme with all of the, the later games, starting with like Gen 4. You have mm-hmm. the dichotomies between like space-time and life-death and all of that good stuff. And so... Yelvatal is wreaking havoc on I think a forest and it's it's Pikachu's turn to like take a stand and try to stop Yelvatal and as Pikachu is trying to convince Yelvatal to stop and battle him and try to prove some sort of dominance so that he'll listen to him Yelvatal fires some sort of fucking beam at him and he turns to fucking stone oh and again this is like 20 years after the first movie wow and so Ash, we have a, a reversal of roles. So Ash is the one who literally can't do anything. His Pikachu is just like, for all intents and purposes, fucking dead. Mm-hmm. It was literally the most poignant scene. Like, I didn't really identify with too much in the whole movie. It was very much about the battle between life and death and coming to terms with, you know, mortality and stuff like that. That was the overarching kind of theme. But like, that was the only scene that I was just like, oh my God, I'm here now. Like, I wasn't really paying attention, but God damn i'm here now (laughs) you know i couldn't help but draw parallels to the first movie because ash can't do what pikachu was trying to do Mm -hmm. and uh eventually 
you know, Xerneas shows up and like undoes everything that Yelvatal did. So Pikachu's fine. But that had an interesting, that spurred an interesting like conversation in my head because the, the whole thing with the first movie is that Pokemon have the ability to help humans. Yeah. In one way or another. It's the tears of Pokemon that bring Ash back. Mm-hmm. When Pikachu got stoned, Ash couldn't do anything. Humans couldn't do anything. It took another Pokemon, a stronger Pokemon, coming along and being like, be alive, bitch. <laughs> and be alive, bitch. It's, it's kind of like in the first movie, even though Pikachu uh, started off the series very much not liking Ash, didn't want to listen to him, all this good shit, mm-hmm. through the course of the first season, become very attached to Ash. Um, you have the sort of like the the pikachu kind of it was cemented he learned to appreciate ash in a new way because ash could have been gone and if it hadn't mm-hmm. been for the innate power of pokemon ash would be gone exactly yeah yeah when i started thinking about that movie with yelvatal and xerneas you have mm-hmm. like what did ash learn i feel like he didn't learn anything from the experience because it wasn't like you know he didn't band together with whoever he was traveling with at the time mm. to bring pikachu back it wasn't the power the collective power of humans that brought pikachu yeah. back it was literally this god of a pokemon walked up and was just like yep undone <laughs> yeah i feel like there's a lot to unpack but with the uh, first movie out of the way unless you wanted to no we could talk about some specific maybe episodes in the show that sort of impacted us and yeah I was going to say, we've already talked about the one I have, which was the Charmander one. (laughs) I know that was a big Uh, one. That is always a big one. That is a big one. Oh, I just closed my link of it. Because I was looking at them because I was like, I don't remember that many. Oh, one of them was uh, Ash and Pikachu when they ran into the wild Pikachus. Uh, That's literally the one I just added. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Because, okay, most of mine are from, like, the first one. Uh, oh, yeah, mine are, season, mine are too. Yeah, because most of mine, again, were, like, I. that's when I watched the most of it. I watched the repeats. I still watch repeats from time to time. There weren't quite as many hard-hitting topics in later seasons, so yeah, I understand. But, yes, yeah. I forget the name of the episode. I know it has Pikachu in the title, but I also know it's not Bye Bye Pikachu. Yeah, they hop, happen upon a group of wild fucking Pikachu and Pikachu kind of takes the center stage with the group as they defend against I think Team Rocket or some other Pokemon menace. And then like toward the end of the episode Ash is just like, fucking bye! <laughs> <laughs> Tries to fucking leave Pikachu! Just in the middle of a field with all these other Pikachu! <laughs> What the fuck? He's a 10-year-old. He doesn't... Oh, my God. Clearly, Delia did not teach him to process his emotions properly. He's 10. Oh, my God. He barely understands how to make a sandwich. Oh, he also has to be reminded to wash his underwear. But anyway... Why is that a... Why? But so the entire episode, and especially toward the end when he finally makes the decision to like run away and leave Pikachu, he has all mm-hmm. these flashbacks of like Pikachu being happy interacting with these other Pikachu mm-hmm. and how happy the other Pikachu are to have his Pikachu around, this, that, and the other. And it's like, without discussing this issue, mm-hmm. 
with Pikachu, you fucking asshole. You decide <laughs> to just fucking leave. No buy, no nothing. You just fucking leave. That's all his dad could teach him. Jesus Christ. He, <laughs> he treated Butterfree better. He treated Pidgeot better. So don't feed me that bullshit. Fucking Christ. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, you're, you're the anger you have towards Ash. <laughs> I want to strangle him if he wasn't internally 11 and in a coma. <laughs> but yes, did you have so anything funny. else to add about the Pikachu episode? <laughs> <laughs> Ash is awful. Moving on to example number 35. So, oh God. to break away Maybe from. PowerPoint. <laughs> you'll see that we're on slide number 32. Ash is still awful. But oh to break away from Ash for a little bit, we will definitely come back because Ash is fucking awful. Okay. Uh, I wanted to mention the episode where Bulbasaur doesn't evolve. Oh, um, it's one that I had forgotten about until very recently. I did until this moment. That that is a decision of Bulbasaur's. So there is like this ritual yeah. that Bulbasaur's have are called to when they are ready to evolve into Ivysaur, and they are taken or called to like a secret garden, and there is a ceremony performed during which the evolution happens. And Ash's Bulbasaur is called to this secret garden to evolve. But once the evolution process starts, he starts spamming B like his life depends on it. And so he doesn't evolve. And naturally, Ash is worried that something is wrong with his Bulbasaur. Uh, I do believe it is Brock that starts chiming in saying that maybe Bulbasaur doesn't think he needs to evolve. And so there's a lot of psychological stuff going on with Bulbasaur as well. Yeah. I feel like all three of his, really four, all four of his like starter Pokemon, including Pikachu, mm -hmm. they have a lot of psychological stuff going on with them. Definitely. So we could probably do individual episodes on each one. But. Yes. Because Bulbasaur, before he met Ash, Bulbasaur was like the defender of the Pokemon refuge that was being run by a girl whose name I forget. I always want to call her Erica, but I know she is not gym leader Erica. And Bulbasaur is the guardian of this place, and he guards it with his life to make sure that the Pokemon who are there can get back to full strength. Mm-hmm. And after Ash proves himself worthy by defending the refuge against Team Rocket, Bulbasaur agrees to go on Ash's journey with him. So I know there is an immense sense of self-proving that Bulbasaur has. Mm -hmm. He definitely wants to prove himself worthy of the position, the benefits that he has and just for clarification ash's bulbasaur never evolves mm -hmm. he intentionally sabotages the ritual for himself and then never seems to get the opportunity again so there's an interesting situation where bulbasaur is acknowledging that i wouldn't necessarily say that he doesn't deserve to evolve because clearly bulbasaur does yeah he was very much given the approval symbol 
Right. As far as all three of Ash's starter Kanto Pokemon go, I think Bulbasaur is the most worthy of evolving. Yeah, probably, yeah. Just in terms of, like, maturity when included with strength, like, Bulbasaur carries himself very well. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't seem to, as I believe it was Brock indicates, he doesn't seem to feel like he needs to. He doesn't need that. He's fine where he is. He doesn't need the expansion of abilities because he has all that he needs. I feel like that's a huge message to children to be, not to be like content and complacent where you are because you should always strive for more, but just because you have the opportunity to get more doesn't mean you need to take it. Well, plus it's okay if you don't, you know, he was kind of feeling the, basically he was feeling the pressure to evolve and he was saying, no, I don't want to do this. And he stood by his choice. And that's what it's really saying, too. It's like, you know, it's okay not to do what, you know, is expected of right. you by there is societal that, standards or whatever. There was that societal push from the other Bulbasaur who were evolving. Yeah. But he should evolve. And he was like, no, but I don't mm-hmm. I don't want that. I don't need that. Why would, why would I do that? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's just like, I am comfortable with who I am. And I'm I'm happy in my life. And just because you, like you said, you know, sometimes if you want the opportunity to be more responsible, some people just aren't that way. They're like, I just want to make the money, leave, and do the happy things in my life. Like, I don't need right. all the hip and roll about it. Another episode is Snow Way Out. Oh my god, I had forgotten. Because that's the one where they fucking... Yeah. I hate you. Mm-hmm. Oh Here's my make god, it but I feel like that the name alone triggered me. It's <laughs> when, when they get lost in the blizzard, and all the Pokemon refuse to go into their Pokemon. <laughs> Is that the one? Yeah. Because they, they keep I'm him, about to fucking cry. They, I'm they crying. I'm literally crying. To protect him so he doesn't die or pass out. Oh my god. So yeah, they get lost in a fucking blizzard. Mm-hmm. You know, Pikachu never wants to go in his ball. Mm-hmm. So he wants to be out. And I think he calls Charmander out for the fire. Yeah. And then slowly but surely, all of his Pokemon come out. And they refuse to go back into their Pokeballs because they don't want him to be cold. Yeah. It's just... And they could have all died. Oh, you okay? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> Forgotten. <laughs> There's a good reason why I forgot. Oh no, I'm so sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> In short, Pokemon goodness makes up for Ash's shittiness. Yes, that's true. I have personally three more examples to go. I have a couple more too. You want me to do another one while you collect yourself, or <laughs> <sighs> no? Let me let me actively think about something okay. else. So the next one I wanted to bring up uh, was the, I forget the name of the episode again, but it's the Pidgeot episode where he let Pidgeot go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the I Choose You episode or whatever it was. So big thing is that at the beginning of the series, Ash catches Pidgeotto and all this good shit. And then they go off and they do all this good, wonderful shit and beat all these things. And on the way back home. He runs into maybe not the same flock, but a very similar flock of Spiro and Firo as taunted him in the second and I think third episodes. Okay. And they are fighting against 
this flock of Pidgey and Pidgeotto. And it's kind of similar to like the Pikachu situation where like he sees how happy Pidgeot is interacting with its kind and how happy the other Pidgey and Pidgeotto are interacting with his Pidgeot. And so he just kind of decides to leave. Now he does say goodbye. He does say, hey, I think you would be better off here. I think you have more of a purpose here than with me. And there is a lot to be said about that. And it's why I really called him out against the Pikachu episode. That's fair. Well, this, well, to be fair, isn't this like later on in his journey? Isn't that later on in his journey with Pidgeot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he he probably matured since then. Uh, And I'm sure he did by all of five days. But (laughs) I also get that he has such an emotional connection with Pikachu that sometimes... It's so yeah. much harder to say goodbye. It's easier to walk away sometimes because you don't right. have to face it then and face your choice for sure. Yeah, so he abandons Pidgeot to take care of this flock of Pidgey and Pidgeotto, and we have never seen Pidgeot since, to my knowledge. It definitely wasn't quite as emotional because it doesn't it doesn't seem out of nowhere. Like it's not like he's just like fucking bye mm-hmm. and walks away and it's you know, there's a significant build up to it. And then you also have the earlier episode of uh, the Pikachu one where you kind of like start drawing parallels like, oh, he's he's seeing how they interact. He's seeing how happy they are. He's probably going to try and let Pidgeot go. Yeah. So you, you have you have that that ability to see ahead. And I implore you to take that ability because it's coming. <laughs> okay. It's slightly less impactful, but it is still like, why? Like. Like, why? Pidgeot in the original games is, like, one of the best flying-type Pokemon. Oh, definitely. Just because its stats are just insane. It's one of my favorite flying Pokemon, for sure. Oh, yeah. And it's got got the flowing, like, rocker chick hair. I fucking love that shit. And you just, like, okay, fucking bye. Live in a tree now. Mm Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I have a next one. This one, I, I don't know if you'll remember this one either, but I do remember this. As long as it doesn't hit me like Snow Way Out does, I think I'm okay. I, I don't think it will. I don't think it will. This one is called a poached ego. So this is where Jesse and James are actually the good guys in a situation. They find that there's a poacher in the area they're in at the time named mm-hmm. Rico. And so he has cages upon cages full of Ekans and coffins. Oh, it's where they get their Ekans and coffins. This is where they, their Arabok and their Weezing leave them. Oh, they leave. Oh, God. They leave. I had forgotten. Continue. Because uh, Jesse and James see this. And I think it's one of those situations where because it's something that you are personally attached to, which for them is their um, Abok and Weezing, like mm-hmm. they, you know, immediately want to free them from this poacher, even though they are poachers too. Rico and them start fighting and he fights them with his uh, Tyranitor. They tried using Abok and Weezing to help get people, you know, away and try and attack. Uh, it wasn't working. So Meowth, Jesse, and James decide to try and distract Rico while Abok and Weezing set all the Pokemon free and left. Because that was the only way to save the lives of them and everyone involved in the situation at that point. Right. So, yeah. I will point out that that is not a first season thing. So proud of you. Thank you. I was going to say, I do know I've watched other seasons. 
but I don't remember how far I got in. That's why I say I know the right. first season very well because I always start because I'm like, I gotta remember everything to keep track. And then I lose it probably around three or four, but I never know what scene is from what season. All right, right. So that's why I say, like, I think I only know one, but we'll see. <laughs> so I still have three that we haven't mentioned. Are you serious? Well, one, I know one of them. Yes, you know one because it's, it's the big offender. Yeah. So what you were saying actually reminded me of one. Okay. Talking about how Team Rocket was the good guys in that episode. Yeah. Reminded me of a, uh, not exactly a meme, but a picture that's been circulating among the Pokemon circuit online recently. Okay. Uh, focused on Team Rocket especially and saying like one was neglected, one grew up poor, and one was abandoned. And they've grown into three of the most beloved villains, quote unquote. In the history of TV. Yeah. But that reminded me of fucking Go West Young Meowth, uh, which is the backstory for Meowth. Yeah. That, and how, oh. how he learned to fucking talk and why he learned to fucking talk and how he joined Team Rocket. Oh. So if you don't know, Meowth did not always speak English. No, no. Of course not. He fell in love with a female Meowth and in order to impress her, Mm-hmm. began teaching himself English mm-hmm. and also taught himself how to stand on his hind legs. Once he had pretty much mastered the two, he went back to her trying to woo her and she Beautiful. had overlooked him for a Persian. They always do. Right. <laughs> Heartbroken, that's about when Jesse and James found him. Mm-hmm. I know it's like the corniest tongue twister phrase to help with speech therapy but ever since i saw that episode for the first time she sells seashells by the seashore has kind kind of soft core triggered me oh okay because that's the phrase he uses to teach himself at least in the english dub like not an intense emotional reaction but whenever i hear it i do go oh my god meow oh honey so there's there's that do you have any besides the big offender left no so i'll take the liberty of uh giving my other one which is the third movie, pretty much in its entirety. Mm-hmm. I have always been a sucker for uh, failed family dynamics. Anything with an abusive, manipulative, absent, overbearing, any extreme form of parent or any extreme form of sibling, especially if it's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And that's what the third movie is revolved around. This archaeologist, pokey archaeologist, whatever they call themselves in the Pokemon world, has recently discovered the importance of a new Pokemon called Unknown and how they can essentially warp reality. Mm -hmm. And this relatively young archaeologist's daughter is back home alone while he's on his escapades figuring out how Unknown work. And she's very young. I forget her name. Mary, maybe. But her mom, the archaeologist's wife, Mm -hmm. is dead. Oh, they don't explicitly say that, but she's never she's never there. <laughs> I do think that they kind of allude to it as some form of sickness, in, at least in the English dub, but she's dead. And so when she's home, the only people she has around her is, I mean, she's because of her father, she's very well off. Um, she has like butlers and maids and people who are basically paid to play with her. Yeah. But all she wants is her, is her dad. Yeah. Oh, God, now I'm remembering this movie more. yes so you have this dynamic of the daughter who's neglected Mm -hmm. as he is uncovering the secret of the unknown the unknown take him to a different dimension 
And so obviously, thinking that he's fucking dead, they have to alert the daughter. And some sort of guardianship has to be appointed because she's like fucking four or five. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And instead of that, what happens is a very, I mean, this whole, oh shit, this whole movie gets to me. Oh, honey. But the, when she's playing with the, uh, the alphabet blocks mm-hmm. and begging for her mommy and daddy to come back. Oh. And, uh, I think she spells out mom, dad, and, and her name with the blocks, the unknown come to life. And because the unknown have the power to change reality. They they make her a daddy. They give her a physical representation of the legendary Pokemon Entei because as established in an opening scene, I believe, to the movie, mm-hmm. she emotionally attaches her father to Entei. And so they give her Entei as mm-hmm. her daddy. And then we go through this whole thing where like they start warping the castle that's around her and Ashen, his gang, and even uh, Professor Oak and Delia, Ash's mom, Mm-hmm. go because uh delio was friends with the archaeologist and his wife uh Intei ends up well the fake Intei ends up capturing delia to serve as mary's mommy mom. yeah and so there's there's even more dysfunction because now ash's mom has been kidnapped and it's why he storms the castle yeah there's a there's a lot a lot going on yeah as i say i i do remember this movie when you were talking to me about it. I don't remember the emotional attachment to it, so I'm gonna guess they saw Noe Me. Uh, it's probably because it traumatized me, given yeah, the time so you, period. So you probably ended up, like, blocking, blocking it, it. So. Yeah, because I remember these details. <laughs> and I just looked up, and it was from two, 2001, so I know me, I would have... Yeah, I was still traumatized, so no. That would have not been in uh, my top favorite ones right at the moment. So I don't think I ever rewatched that. But I want to now hearing it. I'm like, that's... I, yeah, I don't I blame you. It. It's, a, it's a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Just full disclosure, you're gonna feel. I know, that's why I'm like, I, it had to have been... Because I don't remember the emotions that... So I'm like, oh, I must have gotten real emotional during that. <laughs> I don't and remember. And then just, nope! Never yep. existed. Mm-hmm. I had a... Moving on from trauma. Yes. Let's go on to trauma. <laughs> the, the final bit that we would like to discuss with y'all tonight mm-hmm. is the epitome, uh, I think, of this episode as Pokemon's Jurassic Bark. It's the one that everybody knows. Not a lot of people want to talk about. And that is Bye Bye Butterfree. Yeah. So, for those who may not know or may not be as refreshed, uh, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> Go rewatch Pokemon. How dare you? But in the middle of the Viridian Forest, literally like two or three days after Ash leaves home mm-hmm. uh, to begin his journey, and right after he, or right before, rather, he caught Pidgeotto. He catches a Caterpie. Yeah. And we go through a lot of like comic relief sort of interactions between Caterpie and especially Misty who can't stand bugs. And <laughs> yeah. uh, there's this whole thing. There's a big like it evolves and then there's more psychology in Pokemon later on this. But the whole Metapod battle where they just harden each other to death. Uh, we got to talk about that. <laughs> Then there is the swarm of the bee drill in that same episode who uh, kidnap Metapod after it evolves from Caterpie. 
and takes it to like their home base and ash risks his his life to get metapod back and during the pursuit uh i believe it is one of the bee drills actually strikes metapod mm-hmm. ripping the chrysalis open yeah but luckily metapod had uh, developed enough to actually evolve into butterfree without problems yeah thankfully and i will say as going through like the old games one of the best feelings ever is finally getting that fucking butterfree because <laughs> it's like the first pokemon other than like pidgey that can like do stuff yeah i guess ash pretty much falls in love instantly with butterfree as he should he risked his fucking life for it Mm-hmm. But then later in uh, Vermilion City, tries to trade it away for Eradicate, then immediately realizes his mistake and trades it back. That's another episode I, I think we should have included is when Ash does that trade and then he throws out the Eradicate Pokeball, still thinking it's Butterfree. Oh, that gets me right in the feels. Because, oh. you know, he's like, go Butterfree. It's yeah. fucking Eradicate. And he's like, oh shit. Yeah, I did yeah. that. It's very awkward. Right. <laughs> But um, later on in the season, uh, there is a flock of Butterfree mm-hmm. kind of migrating toward a particular position and uh, seeming to court each other mm-hmm. like animals do. It's very cute. I believe Brock comments that uh, it must be mating season yeah. for Butterfree. And so uh, he encourages Ash to let out his Butterfree. First off, Brock, fuck you. Hey! Brock is a weed man. He's also a womanizer. Pick your battles. Fuck. <laughs> he was very, I will say, just as we brought this up, he was very much the 90s epitome of a guy. A man's man. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. <laughs> like Johnny Bravo, but without the muscles. Johnny Bravo has a good moment, though. He was, he was a womanizer. He but he also, like, respected them. He just also loved looking and appreciating too much. He respected them, but he also disrespected them. Yeah, it was so weird. That's what I think of. (laughs) Right. Brock encourages Ash to let his Butterfree out to find, uh, you know, a potential mate. And it's very pretty. He picks, obviously, the the shiny Butterfree. So pretty. (laughs) And immediately falls in love. And the shiny Butterfree wants nothing to do with him. And uh, he goes through this whole ordeal with Team Rocket and whatever and proves himself and... They end up kind of hooking up, and then he gets to the end of the episode, and Butterfree have to leave. They physically have to leave to a particular spot uh, to mate. Oh. And so Ash says goodbye right. to Butterfree. Yeah. It's very emotionally charged. Insanely emotionally charged, because you know Ash just wants the best for Butterfree. Of course, yeah. It's very hard to let something go that you've invested pretty much unarguably your life into i mean he risked his life how many times for metapod but he knew it was for the best yeah and so he says goodbye and they fly off that's the end of the episode see even though that's sad it's such a nice sadness do you know what let me let me ruin that for you okay i would love for you to you know i love sadness bring that in so for years coach me in it they kind of teased that Butterfree would be coming back because pretty much every Pokemon except for Pidgeot has like come back in one form or another. Yes, yes. But they never have brought Butterfree back. What they have done is include a Pokedex entry. I forget which generation it is, but it's a fucking Pokedex entry in a main game, so it's canon. Oh, okay. That includes the nice little fucking fact that Butterfree fucking die after they mate. 
I was going to say, isn't it they die after they mate? And that makes watching it so much harder because you know something Ash doesn't. Well, so how does it make you feel about Brock then, knowing that Brock knew that? Most right, likely. he's a fucking breeder. Yeah. He has to know that, you yeah. fucking asshole. And that's the thing, Brock is thinking like a breeder would. He's not thinking as the Let him make babies! We need Pokemans! Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Whereas Ash, I mean, Brock forwardly thinks with either his dick or his front brain. Well, yeah. And Ash tends to think with his hind brain. Yeah. And Misty's just kind of there. She's there. Being yeah. a... 13 year old girl or yeah. she 14 one of those i think she's 14 yeah 13 or 14 so um pokemon hits and it hits hard yeah i was gonna say it's sad and i feel for ash but wow that was the kind of like it just re-emphasizes to you though that these were kids going through all yeah. of this because there's a 10 year old a 13 year old and what a 16 year old yeah brock's yeah. like 16 or 17 yeah it's like jesus christ <laughs> Who, who decided this is a great idea? Look, the Japanese hate children, okay? The earlier you go through intense emotional trauma, the better. I mean, I agree, but... <laughs> Not to that extent. Yeah, like limits. As teased before, in closing the episode, I would like to leave you all with a thought, including you, Kayla. Oh, God. So we talked about Mr. Mine. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> Yeah, we did. There's also a Pokedex entry somewhere. One of these Mm -hmm. recent generations. Yeah. That indicate that Mr. Mime, particularly males, have a tendency Mm. to Mm. infiltrate the family home Mm. and marry the mother. Literally, Mr. Mime is, for all intents and purposes, Ash's stepdad. He's bonking the mom? I don't know if he's bonking, but... But like he's, th- he's right? definitely in there. But the thing is, like, how do you mean? Like, how does how do you just marry the mom? You have to you have to ask all those weirdos over in Japan. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't. <laughs> how do you, I can barely walk in and keep a date? <laughs> like, how do you just walk in and marry someone? Like, do you just knock on the door and say, "Well, hey, no," because like it, it was slow. It was slow, right? We we got introduced to Mr. Mime. Mr. Mime met Ash's mom, and then very slowly he was just like he moved in and he started like doing chores and shit. But now spiritually, for all intents and purposes, they are married. So Delia what? does like the cooking and shit, and Mr. Mime does all the cleaning all and right. making sure the house is good. So who is she actually fucking then? I know the theory is also Professor Oak. I th- I think there's like a triangle going on. Ooh. If we're being honest. Oh, is is Doctor? I'm not entirely sure that Mr. Mime has a penis. Is Professor Oak the fuckboy in this situation? Oh, I could see that totally. We definitely enjoyed the preparation and recording for this episode. We hope we all enjoyed it. You can uh, always email us at uh, jaderosespodcast mm. at gmail.com. You can also follow us at facebook.com slash Jaded Roses Podcast and on Twitter at Jaded Roses with an underscore at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that Twitter page, you can also find our personal Twitter handles. Mm-hmm. I think that'll about do us uh, for this time. We're looking forward to, you know, putting our opinion out there again in a few weeks. And make sure to go find yourself a nice Mr. Mime. Let's get off of Mr. Mime. Let's go for it. Okay. We are pretty, we are thorny, and uh, at least I am very much over that bullshit.
Stay thorny, y'all. Bye.